Greetings to you all, and thanks for listening to the Bread of Life radio ministry. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. Our program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. The goal of both these ministries is to exalt Christ as the one and only Savior and to declare His sufficiency for those believing in Him for all things. Christ is all. To learn about our work to the regions beyond, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our local ministries, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today we're going to talk about the nature of the local church, its visible reality and its invisible reality. And as we address this topic, my hope is that you'll begin to find the true reason why every follower of Jesus Christ should love their church. I was asked to help teach a bunch of pastors at a seminary in Davao in the evenings on church planting movements for the 21st century. I gave them a warning. For the last 20 years, the focus has not been on church planting movements, but on church growth movements. They're CGMs, now it's CPMs, but it's the same basic thing. And, and churches got really excited. Pastors got big eyes as they began to consider all the things they could do to make their churches grow. And getting bigger and bigger and bigger was the big thing. And George Barna came in, and he kind of took the pulse of society that wanted to be a part of significant and great big things. And people were now gathering at the malls, and they were wanting to be a part of something new. And the stadiums were getting bigger and bigger. And this is the new movement, and we want to be a part of it. So it's the church growth movement. Big is big. And so the enterprising North American church began to think of all the ways that they could be designing and thinking of ways of approaching the life of the local and individual churches to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, nowadays, Barna's still taking the pulse of the societies we live in. He's discovering now that people don't want big, they want small. They want boutiques. They don't want to shop in malls. They want boutiques. They don't want to be in box cutter stores. They want to be in stores that are owned by someone they know. There's a movement away from big to small. Venues are going from being big venues. Everything was a bigger and bigger venue in the 80s and 90s and even the 2000s to now the venues for people gathering are becoming smaller and smaller. And so Barna actually has a book out for the church. And he's poised, posing himself to a prophet, although he's simply taking the pulse of our society. His book now is called Small is the Next Big Thing. So we're moving away from church growth movements to church planting movements. Now, actually, church planting movements is a good idea. I remember back in the 90s that I went to a conference in which there were churches from all over, and there were a series of seminars that were being made available, and one of them was a church planting seminar, how your church could commit itself to planting other churches. And I went and attended it. I was in a denomination in which there were a number of large churches. The average size church was 270. That means that, you know, small churches start with 50, 60 people. That means there's got to be a lot of really big churches. There were churches, a number of churches that had well over 1,000 people in them. I went to this conference. I went to that seminar class. I actually went to it twice just to check things out. What I noticed were in the church were all these small little rural pastors who were pastoring little communities that couldn't divide up into more than one little, but just small little rural pastors. But there wasn't the pastor or leaders from a single one of the large dominant churches in this district that I worked in. Those churches were committed to the notion of getting bigger, not planting other churches. And they were, I felt, missing the boat. The apostolic calling of God that you follow the life of Paul, he planted churches. He planted churches that planted churches. Now things have switched. Now we're not into the church growth movement. Now if you go and read the latest Christian literature, it's not about church growth, it's about church planting. 
It's about even taking your big church and dividing your big church up into sub-congregations to plant smaller and get smaller. Small is the next big thing. And I warned these young men and these pastors I was speaking to that the same enterprising kind of triumphal North American enterprising spirit that dominated the church growth movement and began to mold and shape all of its strategies is just going to dominate this church planting movement. It's just going to be another marketing ploy unless you understand what is at the core and the heart of the church. Unless you get a vision for what is at the heart of the church and your passion and your desire is not for church growth movements or church planting movements, but it is to faithfully spread the seed of the gospel through growing, developing local expressions of the body of Christ around the world. And I wanted to explain to them what that local body should look like, but also I wanted them to understand what that local body represents. Now, I was asked to teach this just within a couple of weeks or a few weeks before I left for the Philippines. Most professors take a year to develop their material, and then they tell you that their material isn't completely developed until they've taught the course for three times. Hopefully I'll have an opportunity to teach it at least three more times because it wasn't fully developed and it still was germinating in my mind and as I spoke to these men. But let me share with you, I lectured three hours a day for five days on this topic. But let me pluck out to you a few things that I shared with them. I don't think I even flushed it out as fully as I have now. I came home, was thinking about it on my flight home. I'd like to share it with you. The first is I want to share with you what I wanted them to gather to their own hearts first. Before they began to give themselves this idea of planting local churches or even pastoring the local church that they had or thinking about what their future of their local church was, I wanted them first and foremost to gather to their hearts a wonder for the church. I wanted them to understand the basic wonder of the church. So let's let that be the first thing I want you to think about. In the New Testament, when you find the word church, you'll discover that whenever the word church is used in the New Testament, it is referring to one of two things. One, it can be referring to the local gathering of professing followers of Jesus Christ who publicly worship together, administer the sacraments of the Lord's table and baptism, and also in this expression together, incorporate publicly instruction in God's Word and from that instruction, institute together spiritual and moral discipline to those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. They gather publicly to worship the Lord, administering the sacraments, teaching the Word, and establishing discipline to those who are professed followers of Jesus Christ. That's the local church. That's what Paul talks about oftentimes when he talks about the church that meets in certain individuals' homes, when he talks about the church that meets in the home of Priscilla and Aquila. When he speaks about the church that's gathered in Corinth, he's speaking to, in those occasions, he's referencing the local church just like he would speak about our church right here or the various local churches that meet within this city of Boise. That's one of the ways in which the Bible refers to the church. The New Testament refers to the church. But more often than not, when you hear the church and when the church is referenced in the New Testament, it's not speaking of the local church, it's referencing the invisible church. The local church is a visible expression of the invisible church. The local church is made up of true followers of Christ, but then again it is also made up of individuals who make a profession but don't have a true possession. In other words, the Lord Jesus gave us the idea that the local church is made up of wheat and tares. It's not perfect. It's not pure. It's 
impure. It's permeated with sinners and sins and errors. And even those who are true followers of Jesus Christ are permeated with sins and with error as well. We're sinners. The invisible church is not so. The invisible church is as it is now, as it is in heaven. It is at this moment, as it is now, before God on earth and in heaven, the spiritual body of Christ. It draws all of its life from Him, and before Christ, it is it is perfect. We just read as a scripture reading Ephesians chapter 1. In it you hear us and us and us and us and we over and over again. And if you read the declarations that are made in Ephesians chapter 1, you'll understand that this is not a description of just the visible local church. This is a description of the invisible church. Now here's something that's true. The invisible church is expressed in the life of the local church. Not perfectly, but it, the local church's role is to give expression to the life of the invisible church. And something of the invisible church is in the local church. Something of the invisible church is in the local church. But the local church is made up of other things than just the invisible. It's made up of error and flaws and sins and it flails and it fails and it's imperfect. Not so this invisible church. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul speaks to husbands and wives and he references before them the nature of the church's relationship to Christ. And as he speaks about these things, he is not referencing the practice of local churches because the reality is that if we were to say, listen to wives and husbands, I want you to follow the practice of local churches in knowing how wives and husbands ought to conduct themselves. I want you to study everything that happens in the local church. I want you to study all the relationships take place, the way in which the local church conducts itself, and husbands and wives, I want you to copy that example. Now, what kind of marriages would we have if that took place? We might not have good marriages. We might have some real problems if we solidly always copied the example that is modeled for us in the visible local church. So when Paul is talking about, he's talking to husbands and wives, and he tells them, your marriage is to be patterned upon the relationship of Christ to the church. He's not referencing and saying, follow the pattern that you see in every local church. He's speaking of unique, declared, real relationship that the invisible church, that is a church made up of those who are truly born again and regenerate of the Holy Spirit, in earth and in heaven, he's speaking of that church's relationship to Christ. Verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now listen to the appearance of this invisible church, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself as a glorious church. Let me share with you right now, the invisible church is a glorious church. He's not waiting for a presentation to come. He has been presented with this glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she should be holy and without blemish. This may surprise you because you won't find this as a witness and evidence in the local church, but the invisible church is without spot and it's without blemish and it is holy before the Lord Jesus right now. Ephesians chapter 2 again speaks of the reality that we have in this church. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7, this is what we read of the local church. And once again, notice Paul says we and us and are, and he's speaking now of the we and us and are of the invisible church, expressed in the local church, but true only and purely and completely in the invisible church. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, this is verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace have you been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Folks, listen. The local church, with all of its flaws and errors, is not entirely and not in totality positioned and seated before the throne of God in heaven. But the invisible church, pure and spotless and without wrinkle and blameless and glorious, is in this moment, at this hour, we who are comprised in this great, wonderful, invisible church, seated in the heavenlies, in Jesus Christ, clothed utterly and completely in the garments of the righteousness of the Son. Glorious in every way. Thanks for listening in today to the Bread of Life. Keep the missionaries of Church Partnership Evangelism in your prayers as they work in Ecuador and Cambodia and India and Indonesia and Greece and Bulgaria to release the body of Christ as His witnesses. Find out more by going to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.